What's good? What's good, everybody? This is DDP back with another. This is Positively Relentless. We are still Positively Relentless here, but it looks like in all likelihood I'm going to be flying solo tonight. So salute to my dude, Big Game James. Hope you feel better. But uh, we're going to jump on here and we're going to talk some Mavs for a while because we have had an interesting, shall we say, 48-hour window now. This team is maybe starting to find some things, starting to gel a little bit, and I'm certainly digging that. But we need to see how they're able to build upon it. Is this just a hot stretch for some of these guys, or is the team really figuring it out? If you recall, this is around the time they did figure it out last year. They were 16 and 18 midway through December, and then they kind of flipped a switch and they never really looked back. Their winning percentage from like mid-December until the end of the season was second in the league only to Phoenix. They might be doing something again because back-to-back -back wins, first of all, not just back-to-back -back wins, it's a back-to-back -back against Phoenix and then going to Denver. That is serious, serious uh, competition. You have to really be able to prove yourself and show that you are a team not only with that grit and resolve, but also depth. And I do feel like we're starting to see this kind of young core build around Luca. And that's great. Obviously, Luca 24, of course, obviously not even in his actual like peak prime yet. That's like 27 to 30 is like your, your peak peak. Um, but by all means, they are starting to get cooking. And it's intriguing. In the last couple of days, the Mavericks have elevated themselves from 10th in the West to 7th now. And because the West is such a logjam, we're talking just three games back of Phoenix for that top seed. Speaking of Phoenix, let's talk a little bit about that first game here. So the Mavericks, rematch of their season opener, uh they if you remember that game it, it's an eternity ago it already feels like but that's a team that dallas built a 23 point lead against on the road had the suns fans booing them on opening night and then everything kind of fell apart in the second half phoenix made a big run and ended up taking the lead uh in the final 10 seconds to get over that hump and that was it was a really frustrating one because you were like all right they wanted it more they had more determination to kind of get over that hump but you definitely knew that that was one you let it get away and given how that would be a trend throughout the first 20 games and, and change you really knew like there's no excuse for that unfortunately we're going to see a lot more of that moving forward but in this rematch you have basically a continuation of that second half against the Knicks yes there also was the the first meeting with Jalen Brunson again at half. It was not good for the Mavericks, but the third quarter in particular, what's been so often the kryptonite to the Mavericks ended up being just just a thing of beauty in New York. Uh, I think they outscored the Knicks something like 44 to 13 or something. They went from like down five or down seven at the half to up like 20 going into the fourth, just utter madness um and then it didn't really matter so now you're in a chance you're you're playing phoenix and that hot shooting basically continued dallas blitzed the suns just like the opener blitzed them 
And at the half, Luke already had like 24 points. Uh, Devin Booker had like six, something like that. I mean, didn't didn't do much of anything, and, and it was already a pretty lopsided score. And it didn't get any better for the Suns. Dallas just completely drove them into the ground. Didn't even have to play their starters in the fourth quarter. Dallas ended up winning that game 130 to 111. Any talk Suns fans try to have about Devin Booker being in the same class, let alone better than Luka, it's it's just homerism. That's all it is. Because if Luka ever had a game like this, where on a primetime game premier matchup against a, a, a heated rival at this point, if he had 11 points on 4 of 13 shooting, he would be mercilessly dragged. There are people saying that he he wasn't responsible for the, the next win, which we'll get into in a minute, uh, because he only had like a 24-point triple-double. A 24-point triple-double, that's your low bar? That's the game where people look at it and they go, man, he just didn't really have it tonight. Whew. No, no other superstar gets graded on that kind of curve. And, you know, shout out to some, there, there are a handful of them out there. Candace Parker being one in particular, shout out to her uh, talking about the Mavericks in particular. She basically said, you know, Luca gets a lot of criticism for people saying he needs to get his teammates more involved. He needs to do this. That's, that's the lazy narrative. Because if you look, the thing that's changed in the last week, week and a half is not Luca sharing the ball more. It's guys hitting shots, particularly Tim Hardaway Jr., who since moving... Hey, salute, by the way, to, to James for this. Uh, he was calling for this early on. I was a little reluctant. But Tim Hardaway Jr., since making this switch into the starting lineup, has found a new gear. His first game he started was like two points. Uh, and then he came out with the starter again the next game. And everyone was like, oh, God, what are you doing, Jason? But since then, he's really taken off. Now you got a dude averaging like 20 points for you in the starting lineup. He's red hot, connecting like 46% of his threes or something like that since he moved into the starting lineup. And suddenly it's like, oh, okay. So we have a team that actually is knocking down shots. And a guy who, like Hardaway, will go on a heat check with regularity and knock that son of a bitch down. Okay. All right, this this makes the offense look so much different and better when you have that because Christian Wood cooled a little bit offensively from his production standpoint, but he is being efficient and he is still being a vital piece to the overall machine, I think. But you still have him cooking. You have Luca obviously doing Luca things, and now you have Hardaway cooking. Some of these other guys kind of coming along. You're starting to find them maybe a little bit here and there. Uh, Josh Green keeps taking steps forward. Not every game is a huge step forward. Like uh, he'll play solid minutes, but you're going to get a game where it's like, hey, four points in like seven minutes. You'll, you will get that. But he looks he looks like very much the, the type of player, the mold of player we've been clamoring for the Mavericks to acquire in the last year and a half in a trade. The only guy who's really kind of falling out altogether is Reggie Bullock, who just, I, I kind of feel bad for him at this point. Like, I know he's a better player than he's showing us right now. He is in the funk of all funks, and something is just not there right now with his confidence. Hardaway got it going, and now Hardaway is like, you have some Mav fans like, dude, Hardaway is cooking so much. We need to trade him while his stock is high. Let me know in the comments. Guys, chime in in the comments. Let me know. What are your thoughts on Tim Hardaway Jr. right now? 
does he deserve more credit or should Dallas look at this and say like, Ooh, he's red hot. Great. We knew this would eventually come trade him. Are there people saying that? I'm curious. I think what he brings to this team and how they kind of vibe off of him when he starts cooking. I, I don't think you can overlook that. I really don't. I think you, while it's nice to have his trade value high, I still think you probably are, you're in it for the year with Hardaway, I think. We'll see. I mean, obviously, the deadline will dictate that depending on the opportunities that are out there. But uh, yeah, Hardaway is cooking. The only guy not really figuring it out very much is Bullock. And you're seeing Josh Green step in and take some of those minutes. It's it's interesting how things are starting to go. Even Dorian Penny-Smith had a huge night game winner. Again, we'll get to that. Uh, game winner in that mix as well so guys are figuring it out and the the result is pretty positive again against the suns luca 33 6 and 8 12 of 20 from the field 4 of 9 from 3 dinwiddie 21 4 and 2 5 of 15 but uh 5 of 8 from 3 i like that hardaway 17 2 and 6 on 6 of 12 shooting 5 of 9 from 3 uh josh green 16 4 and 5 on 6 of 7 shooting including one of two from three Shout out, man, to Josh Green. If you think about this, if you roll the mental Rolodex back to the second round series last year against the Suns, realize this. Josh Green was basically unplayable in that series. If he was out there, he was a deer in the headlights. And he looks like he was about to have a heart attack every time he caught the ball. Like his eyes got like so wide and he was just like out of control just freaking out like get the ball out of my hand don't mess up and that's gonna make you mess up and so to go from that to where he is now we're talking six months and this dude shredded phoenix he's fearless out there it's not just that he's bringing some three and d it's not just that he's bringing the energy and the hustle plays and stuff like that he's playmaking He's doing 360 blind whip passes to the corner. He is making all kinds of things happen. And huge game for him. Another one, that Phoenix game was a huge game for Josh Green. Incredibly, incredibly pleased with the step forward he's taken. We're, we're talking about a guy that in the playoffs last year, everyone was kind of dragging Dallas a little bit in terms of like the pick. And again, that's the old uh front office and everything but everyone's kind of dragging for that pick on josh green because it's like again everyone wants to look at desmond bain or everyone wants to look at shadiq bay and I, I get those i do but what josh green is bringing you again is kind of the mix of what you've been clamoring for the team to acquire except now they actually have their own guy on a rookie contract and he's realized starting to realize that potential so what he can bring to your mix and what he can be a part of long term is incredibly intriguing uh so salute to him also in the game you had 18 9 and 4 on 6 of 12 shooting from christian wood 2 of 4 from 3 and then you had the Jaden hardy uh explosion it's garbage time man it's garbage time it's two minutes and change hardy comes in and says bro i am instant offense here are 10 points bucket 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 i think bucket I gave five buckets. He had four. He had four buckets, but a couple and ones in there to get him to ten points. Four or five from the field. It it could not be more garbage time. Again, the final was one thirty to one eleven, and we're talking the last two minutes. It's not like the Suns were throwing the kitchen sink at him defensively, trying to stop him. But you know what? 
I kind of love it. I kind of love it. Not just because it gets Mavs Twitter excited. Not just because that keeps the, the heat and the fans clamoring for him to get a bigger opportunity and more minutes. But also because it highlights something. If he had come in and just knocked down a couple threes. Um, if he had been a little bit defer- different. Different? Differential. Uh, in, in terms of looks not really forcing the issue just kind of like eh, run the possession get the shot clock down and okay here we go um if i have the ball then fine i'll do it if he had done that and ended with like six points but like a couple threes i would have been like yeah okay cool nice good job brooke but the way he went about it the aggression the handles the ability to slash into the paint to finish through contact the floater game he put on in like the most efficient small window of time ever a basically highlight reel of everything this offense really could use. I mean, like another guy that can do this sort of stuff other than Luca. He he just showed it to you, even with Hardaway cooking. Hardaway is not a guy that works really inside uh, inside the lane. Like he he's he can do a pull up jumper and stuff like that, but like he's not that guy he's not a slasher like that and dorian you know he's he's a good catch and shoot three-point shooter um but you just don't have enough guys that can do that that's that's honestly like the biggest thing you've been missing from um from jalen brunson is another guy who's crafty who can get to the cup and who just has a knack for hitting these big shots amongst amongst amidst the trees that's what Hardy is demonstrating. He's basically saying, yeah, you know that thing you were missing last year or that you had last year and that you're missing now and has really hurt you and that you yourself have acknowledged really needing? I'm going to show you exactly how capable I am of doing just that. And I'm going to do it in record time. Incredible, incredible from him. Um, <laughs> the most hyped I've ever been about garbage time. Not just him coming in, but then him immediately putting on a show and Jason Kidd afterwards. A, a little bit of a frustrating answer, but like, man, at this point, Jason Kidd's just going to keep jabbing at Mavs Twitter. He is uh, basically saying like, oh, you know, everyone wants to see more Hardy. They want Hardy to get more minutes, but he's he's young. He has to wait his turn. Ask Josh Green. Josh Green was kind of in a different situation. Josh Green's rookie year, we're talking about Rick Carlisle, who doesn't like playing rookies unless they're Luka Doncic or, to a lesser extent, Dennis Smith Jr. And in either case, he really has no choice. Uh, that That's totally different than what this is here with Jaden. But nevertheless, um, Kid continues to insist you got to earn it. And it's not just a matter of how these guys are playing because what frustrates me is the example kid gives when he's like, Oh, who's he going to take minutes from Luca plays 40 minutes a night. You're going to have him taking Luca's minutes. Like, you know, we have other lineups we can run. We can run uh two guard lineups very well. Brunson and Luca ran together. It's not like Brunson had to sit on the bench because Luca was in there. You can run Hardy off ball. You can run him as a two. You don't need to do whatever it is you're, you're trying to, like the false dynamic you're insisting on. Hey, Ram, what's good? You lost a lot of weight. Uh, I lost a lot of weight over the last two years. Yes, indeed I did. Appreciate it. Um, 
but you, you don't have to run that kind of false dynamic where it's like, oh, well, who's he going to take the minutes from? You know who we want him to take the minutes from. We, just like we want Josh Green to take the minutes from Reggie Bullock at this point, because I think Bullock had, again, another like 25-minute performance with like no points. Um, and, and then Hardy comes in, again, garbage time, but comes in in two minutes and gives you 10. Give Hardy some minutes from Bullock. Give him some minutes uh, with that second unit. Like there's, there's no reason you can't find a handful of minutes every now and then for Hardy. And this idea that like he has to just sit and wait a predetermined amount of time before you give him opportunity to then really prove himself as frustrating. It's just like the frustration of every time kid basically makes the point of, Oh, you know, hopefully he can get some minutes tonight. Like you, you're the head coach. You know, you can make that happen, right? Obviously, you know, you're just messing with us and kid, uh, even with the intentional jab, even further with that, really making sure he's sticking the point home tells Mavs basically tells Mavs Twitter like yeah you don't have it's not as simple as that you don't have a Mavs Twitter coach your coach is not Mavs Twitter and it's like because he's talking about the same thing these guys always talk about like everyone wants to react game to game you're gonna have highs you're gonna have lows but we've been figuring things out and everyone wants to get up in arms when stuff isn't going right immediately and it just takes time it's a slightly different batch of guys and they're having to kind of work through some of this stuff and find a little bit of a rhythm here. And now they're starting to. Everyone wants to react to one game, but we're looking in a bigger picture. Even a 20-game sample size is basically a quarter of the season. So not a small sample size, but certainly not a massive sample size, like a half a year or something like that, or even, a, you know, obviously, fractions, a third of a year. So that's what they're. that's what he's talking about. And I kind of get the point he's making, but at the same time, it, it's frustrating because it's like a lot of these stumbles, though, feel very self-inflicted and not even just like, hey, guys just didn't make shots or guys just didn't give full defensive effort. It feels strategically like we're holding back and giving away games that we shouldn't. But that's a different matter. Let's talk a little bit about the Denver game. Oh, you know, you know what? Hold on. Before I move on from the Suns. I said Dev, earlier, Devin Booker, 11 points. Luka would get, get mercilessly torn apart for that. DeAndre Ayton, another good game. 20 and 8 for him, 9 of 11 from the field. Bridges, 13, 2 and 2 on 4 of 11. Cameron Payne had 14, 6 and 10, so a near triple double, but dude was laying bricks. 4 of 16 from the field and 2 of 9 from 3. Lee, 13 off the bench. Shamit off the bench with 13. Nah. Not, not not bad, not bad, not bad. Uh, but that then takes us to the next game. Now, I said you had that back-to-back. -back. That's obviously going to present some real challenges. Denver has already been kind of a, a difficult thing for you. Uh, you beat them once without Jokic, but then you played them again like two days later, and in the same situation, you, uh, you crapped the bed, and you lost a game you had no business losing. And it just added to the kind of this growing body of weight of how much this team is just not holding everything together, how they can't really play a complete game. They can't get up for these opponents who they should just be having their way with. And, you know, without their superstars, 
they should be just running off the court, but they're not doing that. And it's consistently happening that way. So in this game, best situation you could hope for, again, you didn't have to play your starters in that fourth quarter against Phoenix. And so you're thinking, okay, and you know, maybe this can be an opportunity for Hardy. Uh, it was not Hardy did not play in this game, but you still had reason to be hopeful. Now, Luca percentage wise shooting the ball, not great. Five of 17. I think inside the, the three point line, he was one of eight. So yeah, in, in Luca's terms, rough game, but he still gave you 22, 10 and 12 for, I think his 52nd career triple double, um, in 37 minutes, he was four of nine from three. I like that he was eight of nine from the free throw line and uh, he was a plus seven overall. So usually when Luca's not shooting efficiently, his plus minus is not going to be great, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. Let me see. Thai team looking, Thai team looked jogging like the one of just two years ago. And then it had obvious flaws, but at least had a defined personality. Ty, I, I guess I don't follow what you're talking about. Aram, I, I know you put that comment a couple minutes ago, but I, I guess I missed it at the time. Um, but yeah, so in this game, Luca struggles a little bit, but now you get Dorian Finney-Smith going. 19 points for Dorian Finney-Smith, 7 of 13 from the field, 5 of 10 from 3 in 35 minutes, including the dagger, the game-winning shot, with about 16, 18 seconds left. Um, you, you had Denver pretty much down in the final minutes of this game. You kind of had them put away and you let them off the mat. And I was thinking, oh, God, here we go. Here, here we go. It's going to happen again. But, you know, basketball God's kind of on your side there. Denver, yes, they take the lead. And then Dorian Finney-Smith knocks down a gutsy, gutsy three-pointer that felt like something he's really needed for a while with his, his stress. Uh tie team looks nothing like the one two years ago is it the exact same comment oh this feels okay i get you this team looks nothing like the one of two years ago the maps had obvious defensive flaws but at least it had a defined personality yeah i get you i i agree yeah um yeah so this felt like a huge moment for dorian finney smith but then you kind of mess around a little bit so you get a 116 115 lead uh and then you have to you have to kind of like grit out another Denver possession. Then you get fouled. Okay. Hardaway's going to the line and oh God, he missed it. Okay. Oof, okay. We got another one. Oh my God. He missed it again. And then you have to kind of say a prayer as Denver throws up a three quarters court, almost half court heave and uh, doesn't miss it by much, but they miss. So Dallas second out of a back to back gets a 116, 115 win in Denver that, Hey man, that is tough. Not just, not just the second night of a back-to-back, -back, not just another, I think Denver's, what, the five seed right now? Not just another quality opponent at full strength, meaning with a two-time MVP, but also the fact that, um, I mean, just going to Denver, mile high, right? Like, that's a very tough thing. And that crowd was rocking at the end. When Dallas was going through their final possession that Dodo hits the three, the crowd is deafening. That is a big cojones three-pointer by Dodo. So I, I love that for him. I'm happy for him. Uh, speaking of a ballsy play, Tim Hardaway Jr., 29 points in 31 minutes. I can forgive you for those two free throws at the end because you know what? 
9 of 12 from the stripe, uh, 29.7 of 12 from the field, 6 of 8 from 3. Bro was cooking. He is on a burner right now. He is practically a point a minute right now. And uh, that's that's big for this team. Dwight Powell, meanwhile, 8 and 7. Very quiet, good game for him in 21 minutes. Wood off the bench, 14, 6, and 2. Again, not a lot of shots, only 7, but 6 of 7, so he was efficient with it. Um, it it's it's good. You know, you got uh, 14 minutes and nothing out of Reggie. So, again, that's, that's a point of kind of concern for me here. I want to see, yeah, against Phoenix, 25 minutes, no points. So, Reggie is in the worst kind of way right now. Um... Uh, his role has got to be just shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. It's not just that he's not in the starting lineup anymore. I, I think they're going to have to figure out something. But at this point, could you trade him for a bag of beans? I don't know. He's on a three-year deal. I do think it's a player option in year three, but he's on a three-year deal. So we'll see what you can do. Now, it's not an expensive contract by any means. I think it's like 10 mil a year. That's not for, for what he can bring and what we saw in the playoffs, what he brought to the team last year. There's certainly value in that, and I'm, I'm sure Dallas is hoping to hang on to him and hoping he can kind of shake through this, shake it off, and get going, but we'll have to see. But two big, gutsy performances from Dallas. The shooters are finding rhythm. In five starts, Tim Hardaway Jr. is now averaging 19.8 points, 3.8 boards, shooting 47.9% from the field, and uh, an obscene, obscene 49.1% from three on 10.6 attempts per game he's a plus 37 in the five games he's been in the starting lineup good googly moogly that dude is juiced right now uh absolutely killing it and it's just, when you got the when you got the role players knocking down shots it doesn't even have to be all of them but hardaway's vibing and now dodo is starting to find a little bit of vibe and things suddenly feel a little bit easier luca doesn't have to do everything his usage is still too high and kid keeps acknowledging that that's good honestly it's good i have no problem with kid acknowledging that because i think it's realistic you, you look at the years that russell westbrook and james harden were winning mvps uh those were not years that translated to deep playoff runs i know harden got to a couple western finals but if you look at his numbers individually they usually weren't great in the playoffs his playoff career averages are only like the low 20s so not not even close to the same in westbrook uh, dragging by sheer force of will, but not necessarily managing a game well. Um, post Durant, especially, just never, never was able to really do anything there. So interesting, interesting to see that. And that's why we want to see more Hardy. I mentioned earlier that young core, I was alluding mostly to Josh Green, also Jaden Hardy. I, I, the instant offense he brings is intriguing i mean he got i don't remember how many minutes he had against the knicks i guess i can look that up pretty quick um against the knicks Jaden hardy had all right fine make me go the long way nba.com uh against the knicks Jaden hardy had seven minutes seven minutes five points in that game two minutes so in nine minutes of his career um he's already got 15 points the dude is fearless in terms of getting up shots and quality shots at that like creating something immediately out of nothing you can only have him down in the g league so long dropping 30 a game 
uh, on like 50% from three, uh, like he has been like, and Tyler Dorsey is also fascinating right now. Uh, he had 47 for the G league game, uh, for the legends the other night. So redonkulous be real, 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 real interesting to see what kind of young core could be, could be taking shape. Uh, who is a player you want them to trade for a player? I want the Mavericks to trade for. Um, I think they're probably going to ride with Hardaway, even though I I've been pretty vocal for years <laughs> that I'd rather have buddy healed than Hardaway. I think you got more consistency there. And I think that buddy healed, um, for his career is a better three point shooter than Hardaway too. Hardaway is, Hardaway is feast or famine. He's on a burner right now. And we know from experience that burner can last weeks or it can last mere days. It could be a three game stretch, five game stretch, eight game stretch, 20 game stretch. But when it goes out, when that pilot light goes out, we're going to be pretty frigid for a little bit. And that's always what worries me about Hardaway. Now, if he can sync it up like he did in the, the playoffs, Two years ago against the Clippers, he was wretched in game seven, um, like Porzingis, um, basically every Maverick not named Luca that game. But um, if you can sync it up with the playoff run, Hardaway is like the best X factor you can have. And I know we throw out that term a lot on this channel, X factor, but uh, legit um, Hardaway can be your ultimate X factor if it syncs up with the playoff run. If it doesn't, if he's in a cold, cold streak, a, a, a rut, then he will single-handedly bring your team crumbling to its knees because he will shoot the ball fearlessly. He doesn't care if he's one of nine. If he feels like he's got the look, he'll go. And it's like, I know shooters shoot and you got to shoot your way out of a funk. But, uh, bro, you're killing us. Any, any would always like to say that he's a... Uh, using his inflection he'll say he's ignorant he's uh he's ignorant of his uh his struggles and he will always take the next shot no matter how unconscionable it could be so pretty pretty crazy x factor for or against you there i'd rather have buddy healed i think there's other moves that they'll probably end up having to make you're gonna have to figure out something if you can't if you can't sort through what's happening with Bullock and get him back on track, you're going to have to do something there because what you've been looking for is someone to supplement Dodo and Bullock so that they don't have to play 40, 45 minutes a night in the playoffs while chasing and you know running circles around the court after the best players uh, on the other team. You don't want that. You wanted to find someone to relieve that. So if now Bullock is going to go by the wayside, now you got to find someone that can really bring you that three and D. And yes, we talked about Josh Green, but one, Josh Green doesn't have the same pedigree and experience uh, in that department as Bullock. And two, that's still just one guy when you were still trying to find who before. Like you were trying to find someone new to add. So if one drops off, now you got to find someone else to add anyway. So we'll see what they're able to, to do. But I think three and D remains a strong point of need for them powell powell's been playing well i think honestly they're going to try and figure out something with javel mcgee um whether it's an insurance policy or whatever i think circumstance will give him another opportunity at some point 
but I think they're going to have to try and figure out something because the front court, although Christian Wood has been very good for them, they have not, and I say they, really talking about kid, has not opened uh, opened his arms, so to speak, to kind of greet Wood and give him that leeway and that same respect and opportunity that he's afforded to others. And I think they're going to have to figure out something to continue shoring up their in, inside defense. They're getting killed on the board still with regularity. That's a point of emphasis. I know James talks a lot about wanting them to have uh, a playmaking small forward. I totally get that. That would be fantastic to have. But I think Luca is such a hybrid player anyway. Like I know Luca's not the flashy ath- athlete. Uh, his belly is just a little too big. His hiney is just a little too big. But brother, he's bad and he knows he's bad. Quoting a little bit of, paraphrasing a little bit of Dusty Rhodes there, the American dream, as I ironically cite a uh, Slovenian player. But um, yeah, it's, Luca is such a unique weapon in that he's basically a point forward. Like he's a point guard, yes. But his size and his frame gives him a little bit of that ability to, to do whatever. Like I, I think it kind of takes away some of the need for that dynamic offensive weapon as a small forward. If he got it, great. If he can get it, great. But do I feel like you have to chase it? Nah, not really. I, I think you can I think you can certainly make do um with some of these other pieces. So I would say you want to try and shore up your front court a little bit, particularly the defense and the rebounding. And then just get me some more three and D like it's not enough just to have long lanky defenders. You need guys that can do that and knock down shots. Dodo, when he's on, he can do it. Bullock, when he's on, he can do it. Josh Green, you drafted him to be that. He's showing you now he's kind of getting to the point where he can do it with consistency. You give me that and you give me a a spark plug offensive guy like a a Jalen Brunson or JJ Barea type in Jaden Hardy. Brother, I'm ready to cook. I'm ready to watch this team cook. But I, I want them to address that inside game a little bit with a uh, rim protection and defense, or rim protection and uh, rebounding, particularly. Who, who's someone you guys want? Let me know in the comments. Ooh, it has been a minute since I have run one of these solo and live with you guys. I got to say. I was very long-winded just now. I just talked for like 35 minutes without taking a breath, it felt like. Uh, Let's see, let's see. Uh, Another thing that was unique. Oh, hold on. Let Let me shout out some of the comments here. I see we got some additional faces in here. Carlos Holloway, what's good? Big game Friday against the Bucks. Yes, sir. That's a big game indeed. Uh, Aram says, and I have to say, Dwight Powell doesn't play well, yet I really like the Mavs, kept, bet the Mavs kept him, because if we trade those core players away, I feel like they would no longer be the Mavs. Yeah, I mean, he's the he's the remaining piece from the Rajon Rondo disaster trade, so uh, yeah, we almost refer to it as the Dwight Powell trade at this point, just because he's the thing that's still here. But... I, Powell is the ultimate blue collar lunch pail guy. Uh, he's loved, beloved by his teammates. I, I get that. I appreciate that. Uh, he's a consummate pro and someone you have no problem representing your franchise. I my concern with him is that we've seen him in three playoff 
runs and you can't play him 10 minutes a game despite him starting and he gives you next to nothing and you have trouble putting him and keeping him on the floor uh, because of how teams kind of attack him and negate his impact. So that's my concern there. I think if he's a guy that's in your rotation and just gets a, a handful of minutes here and there, great. I'm still a little reluctant on starting him and playing him consistently 20, 25, 30 minutes a game. Jaden Hardy says Kevin Hoffman has a chance to be a good NBA player. Yes, he does. Offensively, he has the tools. Uh, defense is a little bit a little bit of a, a point of development for him. But he's got the shooter mentality, the scorer, I want to say, mentality, because he's not just a jump shooter. And, uh, you know, we're talking about a guy that was projected for a while to be a top five pick. And him being one of those experimental cases, going straight to the G League for their development thing for a year instead of going to college, frankly, was disastrous for him because he struggled in the how many games did he play? I don't I, I looked this up previously when I talked about it, but I can't remember how many total games he played in the G League for the Ignite. But uh, he struggled pretty heavily and that kind of tanked his stock. He fell all the way to 37 for the Mavericks. So yeah that's that's pretty telling but you see now you see what he's doing in the g league and now you see the the acumen the handles and his ability to kind of slither through the paint and make things happen finish at the rim finish through contact there's a reason he was projected top five in the draft he has a chance to be very good i'm not going to say like superstar good but he has a chance to be a perfect kind of like i said about josh green a perfect complimentary piece alongside Luka Doncic for your future uh, foundation. Our biggest problem is we rely too much on Luka, says D-Town Texas G. 100%. 100% we do. Um, you know, we've, we've tried getting that second star. The Porzingis thing just fell through. It didn't work. Porzingis himself acknowledged recently that he just wasn't the right guy to play alongside Luca because Porzingis is having a little bit of a career resurgence now in Washington. Good for him uh, as far as conducting himself like a professional and doing everything asked of him without drama. I always appreciated that about Porzingis. Uh, his honesty, man, that was that was one thing that was so refreshing when when you would talk to Porzingis in the locker room, and I was I was in there with him uh, once or twice he would give you very honest, clear answers. He would tell you his thought. And I don't, I don't mean like venting some guys. When we say that, some people think like, Oh, he's just like no filter. No, Porzingis was very thoughtful in what he said, but he also was honest and clear about it. He didn't like do public relations speak or mask what he was saying or leave it open to implication or subtext. Like he, he was just very, honest and clear and that was that was something i always really appreciated about him but he, he acknowledged like i just i wasn't the right guy to pair with luca um and you know i i wish they would let christian wood be that guy because i think from the dynamic weapon uh perspective i think wood is a perfect fit next to luca not a defensive guy. And so I guess that that's maybe the one thing you would keep from saying perfect because ideally Luca's perfect fit would be a guy that could do something like that and defend, but that's, you want to talk about the rare of the rare. Um, you're not going to really find that. Um, so I would say wood has that ability to be that second star, 
but for whatever reason they're kind of withholding him from that and i think they're really setting themselves up for a bad summer i really think if things go with this kind of trajectory all year i don't think wood returns because i think his production and his efficiency is going to get him a big contract that he wants and he's he's not going to stay with dallas and with the role that he's given for him this is like a stepping stone this is like something he'll tolerate and and deal with for now while being on a good team and kind of rebuilding that image because there are people who said for years that like he's just empty numbers on a bad team garbage points and garbage minutes nah man he's cooking against starters he's cooking against uh any anybody and he's doing it with freakish uh efficiency especially when he's on the floor with luca so christian wood I, I think he is absolutely someone you should be considering for your long-term plans, but for some reason, they're not really giving him that chance. So without Luca having that true pairing superstar, it's hard to to take that weight off of him. And, I, and again, further irony, Jalen Brunson really intimated after that Knicks game, he was asked point blank, did the Mavericks do everything in their power to re-sign you? Brunson was quiet. He thought about it almost had like a little half smirk and then he just said next question please the reports of what we've heard this year about the Brunson situation whether it was Tim McMahon talking on a podcast or whatever um, blue low post guys like that it's pretty clear Dallas did not make the full court effort for Brunson even after uh, the playoff run that as as much as they liked him you know we talked about this at at length they wouldn't give him a 56 million dollar contract extension he was willing to sign all the way up to the trade deadline he was willing to do that and they wouldn't offer it they wanted to keep their options open to see about if he needed to be included in a trade package and then the summer came Knicks came calling with obviously everything of collusion they did um, and a hundred million dollar, hundred twenty million dollar, whatever it was, contract offer and Jalen's people make it sound like Dallas didn't even have to meet him on that level, but they had to be like ballpark. They had to be close and uh, Dallas basically decided like eh, that's too rich for our blood. And I feel like if you had Jalen on this team, first of all, I don't think you're sitting at seventh in the West right now. And I don't think that you've got yourself like what one game over 500 right now. I, I think this team wins six or seven more games at least than it has right now. We, we talk about Jalen a lot for like the, the culture kind of guy, like him and Dorian Finney-Smith really are like the cultural leaders of that locker room. Uh, Jalen's, the vibes are immaculate. Like legitimately one of the main steadying forces and presence in this, uh, in this locker room for the past several years. And I think they have sorely missed him. And guys have even kind of said, you know, when we were struggling in the past, the kind of steadying presence we had and the guy kind of picking us up behind the scenes was often Jalen. No matter how bad stuff got, Jalen was always there to kind of, you know, help you feel relaxed, help kind of build you up a little bit. And then you'd go out there and eventually you'd figure it out. And he'd be like your big cheerleader right there. Like, you know, 
like, yes, I know you could do it, you know, that sort of thing. So you, you lose a guy like that. It's going to hurt, not just in terms of your wins and losses uh, on the court in his own production, which has been absent largely, but also the little things like that, the unseen things. And I think it's just say what you want about how Dallas might have a young core potentially forming finally around Luca. I think they've messed around a lot and I think they have misplayed horribly misplayed several things. JaVale McGee, horrible mishandle. Um, the, the situation with Jalen's extension, horrible mishandle. The situation with Jalen in the summer and actual free agency, bad mishandle. I think we talked about with the Western conference, how getting to five games was probably the best case scenario because you're forced as a front office to look at it and say, okay, we can't just run the same thing back. It's not good enough to just run the exact same back. And maybe they had that same reasoning for why they wouldn't bring back Brunson. I don't know, but you can't just bring the same thing back. You got to the conference finals, which is awesome, but you were pretty handily dispatched. You were still seven wins away from a championship. So you can't just bring it back. But if you were like, if you were one or two games away, they would probably convince themselves as they've done multiple years in a row to largely bring back the same group. And so this time I think it's like, okay, we can't bring back the same group. We have to do something, but this is a good way to, to like assure Luca that we know what we're doing and that we're on the right track to get him to believe in our vision uh, and our coaching staff and everything. But I think the way they handled the summer undercut some of that faith in the first 20 games undercut that faith and maybe now it's kind of starting to level out a little bit as they're figuring out kind of life without Jalen and how to adapt. But that that might be one. I, I'm not going to say it's a Steve Nash. I've heard some people say like the Jalen thing is going to be the Steve Nash level, like the modern Steve Nash debacle for Dallas. Dude, Nash went on and immediately, immediately won two MVPs and bounced your ass in the second round of the playoffs that first year. This is not Steve Nash. You made Phoenix go from a borderline lottery team to a perennial contender with a two-time reigning MVP with your point guard. <laughs> and they themselves bounced your ass from the playoffs that first year. That is the debacle of all debacles. Um, this, this is not going to be that, but it, it's going to be the diet Steve Nash, if you will. It's going to be a situation, I think, where you look back and you're like, man, not keeping him with Luca is probably that's probably going to be something that we talk about like as a great what if in Mavericks history. Like, what if they had held on to Jalen? Again, I don't think Jalen was the direct number two. I, I think just like we I don't feel like we had a true number two last year. We had a, a two in terms of the production, but we didn't really have the proper Robin to pair uh with Luca. I think if you had Christian Wood and Brunson and you had a prospect like Hardy and you had Josh Green coming along and you had Tim Hardaway Jr. going on a burner like this, whew, that would be very nice. Like I get it. Brunson's usage is up um, and he's getting to run the show. He's not having to kind of play off of off ball and off of Luca and defer and stuff like that. Good for him. He's getting to experience that, but his ability, I think, 
I, I think his ability to give you a steady 15 to 20 uh, and have the potential to have a big game where he goes off for 25, 30, whatever. I, I think that was so valuable. And we had only just started to really scratch that surface before we basically gave up on that particular dream. It felt like. Uh, D Rose. Yeah. Uh, D Rose is a very, is an interesting one. That's, you know, um, back up here with the, the Knicks at this point. It's an interesting prospect. He's had a little bit of a career renaissance. Um, as a role player, sure. I, I wouldn't hate it. Uh, he, he would bring a little bit of what you need, especially if you're not going to give those minutes, unfortunately, to Jaden Hardy right now. D Rose might be a steady uh, creator off the bench for you that could bring something. So, yeah, I, I, I would support that. And I think that would be a fairly cost effective option at that. Do you think Seawood would be around, will be around, or do you think they trade him at the deadline? Asks Kevin. Man, if they trade him at the deadline, even without seeing the deal, if they trade him at the deadline, that conf- that will confirm to me that something behind the scenes was just not right. Like, from the jump, it seemed like Jason Kidd just was not a huge fan of Christian Wood because he came here you know we acquired him and everybody's like oh dude your starting center is figured out or maybe power forward depending on how you want to play him but you got your starting front court guy figured out this completely changes the dynamic this is a a lob threat option Luca's never had that kind of like it's the realization of what you thought you would get with Porzingis plus additional athleticism not the rim protection so much but you get what I'm saying offensively that's what you thought. And then what did you immediately hear? Oh, uh, Mavs are giving a three-year deal with a player option in year three and promising the starting center role to JaVale McGee. Right? Madness. Madness. Even at the time, I was like, oh, as a role player, I don't hate it. Although three years with a player option sucks. But uh, you promised the starting job and Christian Wood even kind of like side eyed that like, dude, uh, I'd be willing to start alongside JaVale. And kid was kind of like, that's cute. Uh, We're going to bring Wood off the bench. He'll be our sixth man. And I'm like, oh, okay. Instant offense off the bench. He'll be going against the second unit. You can still stack his minutes in a way where he plays a lot with Luca, although they really have not been doing that. And you can still cook. You can still like really make things happen. And I'm like, okay, so you'll have a six man of the year, presumably. Uh, okay, I can talk myself into that. And then you saw the dumpster fire that was JaVale McGee early on in the year. And it's like, what are we doing? And then you keep hearing kid talk about how we're going to start. Not, he's never said we're going to start wood, but that we would take a look at doing whatever we had to adjustment wise to make our starting lineup as good as it can be. While he would acknowledge, you know, you saw the dominance of the two man game with Luca and wood. And then before the next game, he'd say, no, there was no consideration to changing the starting lineup. Like 
empty lip service <laughs> just empty lip service to the media and then a, a wayward backhand to Mavs Twitter frustrating as hell um, I don't know what it is man something doesn't gel something doesn't gel with them and it seems like even before Wood even arrived in Dallas officially kid was just kind of like yeah yeah he's a nice player but uh, not someone I'm gonna somebody I'm gonna attach my wagon to I'm trying to think of that analogy but I can't really put it all together right now so if they trade him at the deadline, uh, it will confirm to me that like, and it I, this is my own headcanon. I don't have an inside report, obviously, but it would tell me that like, yeah, something something behind the scenes was going on and they actually did a good job keeping it quiet. I keep waiting every day from the Tim Cato report that's going to tell us behind the scenes what's going on, but uh, nothing yet from The Athletic. So uh, I don't know if they do it. I'll be surprised, but also not surprised. I lean towards that's probably not going to happen, but we'll see because maybe they are going to recalibrate and say, you know, we lost Jalen for nothing. And that really hurt. Do we want to lose our second best player again the very next summer? You want to talk about what that'll do to the narrative of guys not wanting to play with Luca and free agents not wanting to come to Dallas. It's not going to be good. You almost have to, for your reputation's sake, resign Christian Wood to something. I, I don't know. And we, uh, D-Town Magazine talking about the Nash thing. We went on to win a championship, um, basically post-Nash. He's saying Nash didn't, so I don't regret letting Nash go now. True. But again, you had to go through five years of hell, and then you had to be that team of destiny where for a three-month stretch, that was a great team all year. It really was. But a lot of things did have to break right. I, I said this at the time. If you had to go through San Antonio and the Lakers just to get through the West... I don't think you could do it. I really don't. The Spurs were the number one seed that year, and they became the second number one seed ever to lose in the first round to an eight seed in a best of seven. The Grizzlies beat them. Then the Thunder and Grizzlies, both two phenomenal teams that year, went to practically a bloody war in their seven-game second-round series, where even though the Thunder uh, were incredibly young, like 22, 23 years old each for Harden, Westbrook, and Durant, um, not only were they inexperienced on that level, on that stage, but they had just beaten their brains out against the Grizzlies, which are an which were an incredibly blue-collar, hard-nosed defensive team. And uh, the veteran savvy plus all that showed. It was a five-game series, but it played like a, a six-game series, truly. Like, not just the fact that the Mavericks had the 15-point comeback in the last five minutes of game four, I think it was. Not just that, but also uh, just how close those games were. Like, it was a five-game series that, aside from maybe one game, everything was really close, pretty much down to the wire. So, uh, yeah, it worked out. So you don't regret the Nash thing, but I still kind of think if you had kept Nash, one, I think you, I think you would have won in 06 against Miami had you had Nash. I don't know that 2011 happens because there's just too many moving pieces by that point, but that's a different matter. I've actually done a whole what if video on that. Uh, if you want to check that out on the channel channel. Um, but yeah. 
Jalen and Bobin both being gone messed up our team chemistry. Bobon, from a chemistry standpoint, yeah, I, I can see to that. Let's see. I've been going about an hour. Is there anything else I want to touch on here? Fun note. Um, I know at this point you guys that are in here are here for Mavericks talk. I thought it was interesting at the Phoenix game uh, as the Cowboys have been putting on this like full court blitz trying to recruit Odell Beckham. Um, you had Odell shown courtside. He was in Jerry Jones courtside seats alongside Cowboys stars, Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs. And as soon as he's shown on the Jumbotron, you got the American Airlines Center chanting OBJ, OBJ. That was a cool moment, but um, <laughs> the irony is uh, I don't think Odell's even going to be in any, is going to sign here. It sounds like Dallas is kind of like, yeah, uh, he doesn't sound like he'll even be available this year. And that's kind of why he wants a multi-year deal. And he hasn't really been willing to work out for teams. So kind of blind faith. That's a little scary for a guy who's torn the same ACL twice now. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. But I thought that was the way that whole thing was covered um, in that Suns game. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, Lonzo Ball. Man, Lonzo, I don't know what to make of that because he, he still has, has he played yet this year? Because I know he had an offseason uh, procedure on his knee and he's still having major issues where it sounded like there was a lot of setback there. Um, and like he's not progressing well with uh, with the knee. So um, that's a that's a huge red flag to me. Obviously, health permitting. Would I be interested? Sure, sure. Why not? But, um, you know, his role here wouldn't be wouldn't be the same. And his uh, his health and availability would be a question mark for me. I know you and Big Game James were down on this Cowboy team before the season. How about now? Uh, I mean, they're, what, nine and three at this point. Um, they've not won... 10 games in back-to-back -back seasons since the mid-90s. I think it was like 96, 97, or 97... 95, 96, or 96, 97. One of those two. Whatever, that two-year stretch was the last time they had 10-plus wins in back-to-back -back seasons. So they're right on the cusp, and they've they've done well. If you take out that just infuriating, head-scratching loss to Green Bay, um, they are fantastic, and I, and I do think they are playing like one of the best teams in the league right now. I still have question marks about this receiving core a little bit. More so, Michael Gallup gives me a little bit of pause. I know he had a couple touchdowns in this last game, uh, and I think that masks a lot, but I don't see the same explosiveness from him that previously we, we had seen. And um, I, think, I think that's why the Odell thing was so fascinating to people, because the dynamic he could bring. Honestly, I think they need to use Turpin more the dynamic he could bring is kind of what's missing from our offense. And it's funny to say that as we have an offense averaging like with Dak this year, like 37 points a game, you're going to have the number one offense in the league back to back years. And Dak missed five games this year. That's obscene. But, but the question is going to be, how does it translate come postseason? I don't know because historically, not terribly well. You got that playoff win over Seattle, and that was a big-time performance. That was an iconic moment for Dak. 
but then you went and got trounced by the Rams. That sucked. <laughs> so we'll we'll have to see. Uh, um, so to answer your question, I'm more optimistic now than I was to start the year, but I am still reserving that little bit that says this is all well and good, but I've seen this. I've seen Dallas go 13 and three multiple times. I've seen them multiple times uh, in the last 15 years get the number one seed and then lose their first playoff game. I've seen these things and they're not going to be the number one seed this year. I'm just saying as an example, I've seen these things happen. So I'm kind of a prove me wrong mindset. Like you go out there, you win multiple playoff games and you get at least to the conference finals conference championship game. Then, then I'll start to really buy in. But until then, I'm going to reserve a little bit of skepticism and say, this is great. Show me it's real. This is great. Show me it's real. Uh, bu, bu, bu. <laughs> yeah, uh, that Rams team did run for like 300 yards. That was garbage. Yes, this defense is vastly different. Um, but, it, you know, it's you also don't have the guy that was your number one receiver for that team, Amari Cooper, uh, anymore. And again, I don't see the same explosiveness from Gallup. And I do, I like, I'm as big a CD Lamb fan as you will find. I, I was flipping the table and saying how, how good I thought he could be, even when he was at Oklahoma. And I'm an OU guy. So I was screaming that this would be the one he's still a little inconsistent whether it's drops whether it's his uh how teams are able to kind of scheme him out at, at times i do think during this recent run kellen moore and he deserves a lot of credit has been much more creative in how he's implementing him uh chris collinsworth last game even kind of showed the pre-snap motion of how they were able to kind of clear clear out uh cd lamb to the other side which changed the matchup that gallup got and took the best cornerback uh, off of him and set up Gallup for basically a pitch and catch touchdown. It, it gave him a much more favorable matchup. And that's that's just the subtlety of having a weapon like that when you know how to use it and the like the little intricacies. It's like you don't you don't have to impact the game simply by being throwing the ball, catching a bunch of passes, and having a bunch of yards after catch or touchdowns. That's all awesome. That's great. And CD has done plenty of that recently. But when you can impact it in little ways like that, and it's not just like, hey, they got to bracket you, and that means someone else is going to get more favorable coverage. No, no, no. When you find little ways that you manipulate the the matchups and the look of the line of scrimmage, you're you're dictating everything. You are controlling the game, even if the ball never has to come your way. And that's what CD was doing and, and able to do in the second half of that game. Again, credit to Kellen Moore for that adjustment because we've wanted to see more of that, and I think they're figuring out how to use it. And the, the CD Lamb jet sweep is so sweet. So sweet. Seawood, uh, Bullock, and maybe McGee for Draymond Green. I don't think that would work out. Um, do I think the Warriors would do it? Um, the only reason I would even give it any thought is because I think the Draymond Green thing, first of all, I think he's been very clearly on a decline for a while. Second of all... Um, because they just invested everything they did in 
uh, Poole. And obviously we know what happened with Green and Poole. Would not surprise me if that marriage isn't much longer for this world, if that makes sense. So maybe if they could get a haul like that, they would do it. But I don't see that trade happening, even though Green would be... Green would either be the best thing to happen to this team or he would be the absolute worst thing to happen to this team. Last question I'm going to take here because my voice is getting a little scratchy, a little raspy here, and I've been going for over an hour. Best team in the NFC asks D-Town, Texas G. Philadelphia looks, looks the part for sure, but I say that with a caveat. Yes, they beat us head-to-head, but they beat us with Cooper Rush, and we know that with Cooper Rush, Dallas was basically riding the back of just the defense. And in that game in Philadelphia, Cooper Rush threw three first half interceptions. Dallas fell behind like 19 to nothing. And yet they clawed all the way back to what was the final? Was it like I keep asking these questions and then I realize with just a little bit of effort, I could probably look it up. I say that, but this has already taken more time than I cared to. Yeah. So they were down like 19 nothing, and they ended up losing 26-17. So, yeah, that's that's pretty big. Now you could say, hey, Philadelphia kind of took their foot off the gas. They could have kept going if they needed to, but they kind of got complacent, and then when they had to step it up and put it away, they did. Sure. And that's why I say you don't know how which team is truly better. But I can tell you, I think Philadelphia is legit. I think they are the real deal, and I think Hurts – and his step forward this year uh, are sizable. Do I think he's better than Dak? No, I don't think he's better than Dak, but I think he is. Hurts, I've said before, I I love Hurts in terms of the intangibles he brings, which is a similar term that was used with Dak a lot. The intangibles he brings and the leadership he brings um, and how they've built a roster around him. They've honestly built around him the way I wanted the Cowboys to build around Dak for several years. And so I just think he's being put in a more favorable situation um, to actually make it so it's less burden on him and allow his his unique style of play to more so complement uh, complement things than asking him to be something different. With Dallas, it's like if they were going to pay Dak, they had to be convinced that he was a more prototypical quarterback. And so he started running less and he started throwing the ball more and more and more. And James, again, credit to him, his uh, his 30 for 30 campaign in terms of pass run balance uh, has been the winning formula. It really has. And I think when Dallas uses Dak like that, you typically get more good Dak, a lot of good. Now, you'll still get some throws here and there that are head scratching. He's throwing about a pick a game right now, but it's his trust in his receivers that he's like, no, I I expect them to be where they're going to be. And I'm going to turn it loose regardless of what I see, which is kind of scary. He's kind of morphed into a little bit of a gunslinger, but when you got a defense like you got, and uh, you've got some guys capable of explosive plays, like a Tony Pollard who's having a monster year, and CeeDee Lamb who's come on really strong now, it does change the formula a little bit. So we'll see. Uh, honest, so honestly, I, I think it's a toss-up. I think right now, you if you have to say today who's the better team, you might just say Eagles just because they have proven it. Obviously, they're what, like 11-1, 12-1, you can't deny that. You can't dispute that. But there's a major caveat to that head-to-head win against Dallas. So until until we get to the at least the rematch, we can't say. But 
that shall wrap up my time. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Again, send good vibes to my dude, Big Game James. Nothing nothing serious, just uh, wicked migraine and everything. I know how those go, so it can be pretty debilitating. We'll be back next Wednesday for another edition here. And uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out something as far as maybe dropping some additional content here soon. I don't want to promise anything on that. I have every intention, but I also know how crazy the holidays can get. So uh, we'll see. Maybe get, maybe get an extra gift. Maybe not. Maybe um, a tease or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. I've already rambled on enough. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you haven't already, drop a like, leave a comment below, subscribe to the Dallas Prospect. And until next time, guys, remember, because this is basically a solo my show, I'm going to hit my tagline that I haven't hit in forever. Every legend was once a prospect. Peace.